Well, hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we go through the Bible book by book in a way that is deep, but also easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Solid Life Whole Bible Reading Plan. We also have physical reading plans available in the lobby every Sunday. Yeah, and just like we say every week, we would love for you to, if you have questions to go ahead and send those to us at infogrove.church because of the last Friday of every month, we actually spend time answering a majority of those questions. So we'd love for you to, to send them in and submit them so we can do our best in giving all the answers we can. Yeah. We're, uh, just to let you, I guess, a little bit behind the curtain, uh, we're recording this podcast, but then right afterwards, we're actually going to record uh, the June Q&A episode. So we got right. some questions we're looking forward to. It's going to be awesome. Why would you tell them that? I don't know. It's just so... Now we got to cut and do it all over again. Oh, bummer. Well, that being said, let's go ahead and jump into uh, this week's Bible talk. Uh, we're actually going to be continuing in our theme of talking about uh, some of the personal letters of Paul. And again, if, if you don't remember what we mean by that, most of the letters that we see in the New Testament written by Paul are written to churches. So it's, you know, the letter of Paul to the church in Ephesus, the letter of Paul to, uh, the, to the church in um you know, Philippi, whatever it might be. Um, but then there's four books that are all right next to each other that Paul actually writes to people. So there's First and Second Timothy, which he writes to Timothy, and there's Titus and Philemon, and we're actually going to talk about both of those uh, today. And but, if you ever want to feel really confident about your Bible reading, if you read some of these short little epistles, you actually read books of the Bible. I remember as a kid... One of the things that I used to do, like, oh, I read Philemon today. Check it off my list. Right. I read a book. So You can read Philemon on a bathroom break. Yes, it you is, could. It is very short, so go for it if you want to feel accomplished. Uh, but yeah, the letter of Paul to Titus was written about the same time as 1 Timothy, so it's uh, getting towards the end of Paul's life a few years before his death. Um, right now it's dated, uh, our best guess is about AD 63, so maybe a year before he writes uh, 1 Timothy or a few months before and what happens is, uh, Paul, through his missionary journeys, he travels with a large group of people. And so you'll notice if when you're reading through the letters of Paul, he ends it by saying, you know, uh, I, Paul, am grateful for you or whatever it is. He kind of signs off. But then he's also like, and also with me right now is Epaphras and Luke and Timothy and Titus. And we, we see these names that continuously come up. Um, and so what from what we can gather, uh, Paul went through the island of Crete as part of one of his missionary journeys. And he actually, after establishing a church there, there are probably some issues going on. And so he leaves Titus behind to basically become uh, not just the elder of the one church in Crete, but really to become the elder of, um, I guess almost a bishop is the way that you could describe it, where he's a, he's a pastor who's over other pastors. Yeah. And so in in the book of Titus, we see Paul talking about not just Titus's ministry with his own church, but also, you know, when you're going through appointing elders in every town. So in other words, every town is having their church. And, and there's actually a really helpful list of um, the type of qualities that are that God is looking for um, in someone who's going to be an elder or, or a pastor of a church. And so Paul is writing, he's telling Titus, you know, look for someone. I don't have the list in front of me, but it's a great list of just moral character of like, you know, these are the type of people that you want to be elders. Um, anyway, moving forward there, Paul also reminds Titus to preach the full gospel. And really what's going on from what we can gather is that later on in the ministry of Paul, right before his death, and, and certainly 
in that period right after the ministry of the apostles, when we look kind of through church history, is there's a ton of heresies that start to fill into the early church. And so there's one called Gnosticism, which um, essentially holds that uh, Jesus wasn't really fully man, but he was actually kind of a human. There's, uh, I forgot the name of it, but there's one on the other end where it's saying that Jesus isn't God, but he's just a man, um, which is kind of similar to, um, not completely sim- similar, but like to what Jehovah's Witness, for instance, today believe, where they don't believe Jesus is God. They believe he's just a spiritual being of some kind. Um, all these things are going around. And so you'll notice a lot of the letters that are dated later are all concerned with combating uh, these heresies. And so Paul's writing to the pastors, he's writing to Titus and Timothy saying, you know, contend for the faith. We, we read through Jude. Uh, Jude has a very similar theme where it's saying, you know, don't listen to false teachers. They're very concerned with this. And so really when you're looking through Titus, read it through the lens of – um. Again, Paul is a pastor over pastors, just like Titus is a pastor over pastors, and Paul is writing to Titus to encourage him. And so you'll see a lot of great, um, just different perspectives, because when Paul's writing to churches, he's writing really to the the lay people of the church. When he's writing to Titus, he's saying, these are the things that should concern you in pastoral ministry. So it's a great different perspective on uh, what it is. And also just as a bonus, um, I read through Titus because it's a very short book when I was preparing for this. I don't know why I just never saw this first the way that uh, uh, that I saw it when I was reading through it. And so in the first chapter of Titus, Paul is basically uh, helping Titus to remember the importance of um, you know ministering faithfully. And he says in verse 12, uh, one of the Cretans or someone from Crete, a prophet of their own said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. And I love it because it's basically like, you know, I I heard someone from Crete refer to the Cretans as liars, evil, and lazy gluttons. That's an astute observation. You should probably rebuke them for that. So it's just a great, I don't know, I, I read it. I thought it was really funny. I just kind of this moment of Paul saying, you know. Lay into, lay into your church a little bit. They're they're stepping out of line. So for Dude, what, I just for whatever wanna, it's worth. <laughs> I wish I could actually be a part of that conversation. Like I almost feel like Paul, knowing what we know about Paul, it's almost like this. It's just like a passing comment to him. Yeah. Like, hey, this is what I heard. That's true. Make sure you rebuke him for it. Moving on. Like, and for me, it's like even as I'm reading, it's like I totally don't, don't even remember that line. Uh, so it, yeah, it's just interesting. there's a, so there's funny. a few lines of that uh, in a lot of letters. There's one I, I'm paraphrasing because I can't I can't remember exactly what it is, but in one of the letters of Peter, he's talking about like I heard you've been reading uh, the letters of Paul. That that must be pretty difficult. And basically, he's remarking on like Paul's writing style is hard to read because he just like the way he wrote. And so it's just funny. Like when you look at the biblical authors, like they are aware of each other, um, and you know they they say funny things. The Bible is not uh, dry. The Bible is it has uh, humor if you're looking for it. So for whatever it's worth, yeah, it's super funny. Like just even in the nuances. I mean, we do it all the time with different people. I mean, I think there was a point where I remember total like again back behind scenes kind of conversation where we would, hey, show this worship leader. What do they look like when they lead? And so we would just kind of act out what we've seen, their mannerisms and their their the, um, the tendencies. That's what I'm looking for, sure. the things that they would do. So uh, you see that all throughout. So the scriptures, even with the biblical writers and stuff like that too. So uh, jumping quickly into Second Samuel here, uh, there's uh, a passage in uh, this week's reading uh, that I think is pretty pretty interesting to see as David is now in uh, almost in a war against his son Absalom. And uh, it shows David's response. So Absalom, I'll give you a little bit of context here in verse in chapter eighteen. Absalom, who goes out to war against his father's army, 
ends up getting caught in a, in a major branch of a tree, like thicket. It's his hair gets so he's hanging there by his hair. First off, that would hurt. Uh, he was riding a donkey. Also, the first biblical rebuke of the man bun. So, yeah, for what that's worth. Well, and I just saw something about a man bun. That inspiration comes from anywhere, and it shows some trash bags that are rubber banded at the top for a little knot. Uh, and so that's where inspiration for man bun came from, apparently. So it, was on, it was on Facebook, so it was true. <laughs> um, but it was funny because uh, watching this, like you see the tension of it, David, who has a father's heart, but also is a king. And so Absalom hanging in a tree is then impaled by three spears. And then the report comes to David. And when David gets this report in chapter 19, we pick up in verse four, it says this, that the king referring to David covered his face and the king cried with a loud voice, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son. Then Joab came into the house, which is what, this is one of J- David's chief uh, military personnel. He's like his general, his, his second in command kind of thing. And it says, came into the house, of the king and said, you have today covered with shame the faces of all your servants who have this day saved your life and the life of your so- lives of your sons and daughters and the lives of your wives and your concubines because you love those who hate you and hate those who love you. This is such a, uh, the line, even as I was kind of studying and regarding this verse a little bit, it's such a powerful line from Joab. It's it's a rebuke. Like Joab is angry that David is mourning over Absalom's death and he doesn't understand. Like Absalom was coming against you and you would rather Absalom be alive is what he's picking up on than your, your people who are your, like your people would be alive. You would rather Absalom be alive and your people be dead than your people be alive and Absalom be dead. Yeah. And, and so this rebuke comes from Joab and he says this, for today you've made it clear that commanders and servants are nothing to you. For today I know that if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead today, then you would, you would be pleased. And then he says this, now arise, go out and speak kindly to your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go out, not a man will stay with you this night. And this will be worse for you than all the evil that has come upon you from your youth until now. And it's interesting because in this in this passage, you see the tension of David. This is his son who is now dead. Even though his son was against him, even though his son was coming at him, he was he's now dead. And so David is grieving as a father, but as a king, he also has a responsibility and leadership and understanding. This is a good thing that David's that David's son is dead because now he won't be at war. And what's interesting, I think, too, is that we see um, <clears throat> much earlier Joab struggling with the same tension. And it's interesting to me that Joab really doesn't have uh, any mercy for David. But if you'll remember, I can't remember what chapter it is, but um, Abner actually kills Joab's brother, um, Asoil. And then I think that's how you say it. I don't know. Asoil? You did Asoyle? great. Sure. I wasn't going to question it. However, however you say it. But uh, Joab's much easier of a name. Um, but note, it says that Joab is so filled with rage because his brother was killed by the enemy commander, even though it wasn't an unjust killing, it was during a battle that um, after the battle ends, Joab basically tricks Abner and kills him in the street. And so you see this uh, with Joab, he wrestles through family loyalty, where he's grieving over mm-hmm. the loss of a family member. And then he also wrestles with his role as um, really a general of David's army. And in that moment, he... Uh, rejects his role as general and he acts as a grieving brother. And mm-hmm. and you'll see it's actually, um, it's one of the great sins of Joab's life. And it ev- eventually it what le- it's what leads to him being punished, you know, spoilers for, for yeah. later. Spoiler in the books. alert. Um, but yeah, I just thought when you were talking about it, that's just something that came to my mind yeah. that Joab actually wrestles through the same or a, about not, obviously not exactly the same, but a similar tension. Yeah. And it's, it's so interesting to, to almost, again, there's times I just wish I was a fly on the wall, even to see some of these conversations play out. Because the other thing that I think about too is I'm, I'm reading through this and I'm thinking about, okay, if I'm David, what does that mean? If I'm Joab, what does that mean? And knowing the context of Joab, it's interesting because 
I almost feel like you get to a point where you go through a season of mourning or grieving yourself and you come out on the other end having a better picture or a better understanding, which sometimes leads for less mercy for those who go through something similar. Hmm. And, and so there's like, so I, anyways, the, the tension here is, is incredible. But the other thing I want to do highlight this is too, is David's response to Absalom's death, I really feel like is a glimpse into God's heart for his people. Because even when Absalom was against David, he was set at odds. The, in Romans, I'm pretty sure it was in Romans. I could get it wrong, but I'm, but it says that even while we were still enemies of God, even though we were still uh, set up in opposition to God, Christ died for us. Yeah. And it shows us, for me, it shows us the bigger glimpse. If you go gospel for a minute, which is the whole Bible, uh, you see this picture of God's heart being modeled through David. And even in the midst of tension, because he is a king and there is some leadership and there is a, a need to understand like my servants have done a lot for me and my family to keep us safe as a whole community of people. And Joab, in some respects, is right for the rebuke to make sure his king leads well because he's also trying to protect his king. But it's it's such an interesting tension for to us to have a glimpse into David's reality. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's uh yeah, there's just there's so much depth um when you really go looking for it, especially in the life of David, where you know a, lo- a lot of biblical characters. They're there for a couple sentences mm-hmm. and then they're gone. Uh, but with David, we really get to see his whole life play out in scripture. And there's so many different relationships yeah. and so many different, um, even just betrayals uh, that we see that I, th- I think really adds some depth into who he is as a man. Um, but moving on, this week we're talking also about the book of Philemon. So we teased that a little bit earlier. It's the last book of Paul's letters in the Bible, or at least I should say, uh, the last of the for sure Paul letters. We'll talk about that here in, in a second. Spoiler. Uh, spoilers. But, um, We're just full of them today. I know. Uh, but yeah, Philemon's one of the shortest books in the Bible. Uh, it's easy. It's a very quick and easy read. Um, and it's also very interesting because unlike Titus and Timothy, Philemon's not a pastor. Um, and really what prompts this, this is dated to about AD 60 to 62. So this is a few years before Titus um, or before the the books of Titus and 1 Timothy are written. Um, and it's really this, this incredible coincidence. So Philemon is a church member at the church in Colossae. And Paul, as we remember, he writes even a book to the Colossians. He travels through there. And as he keeps going, he ends up in Rome. And at this point, this is probably where he is. And he comes across this runaway slave named Onesimus. And so, Good job on the pronunciation. I, I try. Or one Simus, if you want to give it. I used to always as a kid say one Simus. One Simus. Uh, but I'm pretty sure it's Onesimus. Yes, but, it's uh, Onesimus. Um, but anyways, he uh, he comes across this man, and the Bible says that uh, Paul really leads him into faith. And so Onesimus uh, steals from Philemon, uh, and he uses that those things to bribe essentially his way out of uh, Colossae. He gets to Rome, and he is presented with the gospel and it says that his life turns around. It's really this incredible thing. And Paul urges him to go back to Philemon and to make everything right. Essentially, you know, uh, you know, you stole from him. Obviously this isn't a great deal. Um, you need to go back and to make this right. And so it, it really gives us this incredible picture into what the gospel is yeah. because a, like that's an incredible statement to say. And, and re- remember Onesimus is a slave and it's not a just thing. And, and particularly in the, I think not all slavery is equal if that makes sense. And so I think with us being American, we have American slavery in our heads. And we got to be careful We're, with that. We yeah. got to be careful with the context we read from our history or from our perspective into the context of the Bible. And that's where it gets us into trouble. Yeah. And it, it really can. But I think the contrast here is between, 
um, think through what Hebrew slavery is and what Roman slavery is. And, mm-hmm. and this is where I think it's really interesting. Um, in, in Hebrew slavery laws, um, every seventh year, you freed your slaves. Like whatever whatever they were at, whatever was going on, it was called the year of Jubilee. Um, they wanted their freedom. If slaves ran away and wanted their freedom, they weren't to be recaptured. Um, and it even talks about how when you have slaves in Hebrew culture, you are to treat them like they're members of your own family. And so it's really this interesting point where um, in Hebrew culture and the way God's commanding it, you know, servants and slaves, they are not subhuman. They're not these things. They are to be treated as your your brothers and sisters mm-hmm. in the faith. And they can even, it talks about share in the covenant of Abraham. Um, Roman slavery is, although not exactly like American slavery, it's, it's a lot more similar in the idea that they were treated as property. And there were extreme punishments for um, if you were running away, um, even if you remember the old movie Spartacus, uh, all of those slaves start rebelling and then they're just crucified in yeah. a line down a road. Like it was, it was just a really brutal time. And so for Paul to tell Onesimus to go back, even though that is a possibility of happening, that's mm-hmm. an incredible statement. But what's also incredible is that in the letter to Philemon, Paul tells Philemon to receive Onesimus as a brother in Christ. And I think those are both things that even I, I think to today, to our modern years, um, that doesn't sound revolutionary, but to that culture to say yeah. that this servant of yours, this slave who ran away is not just your, he's not your property. He is your brother in Christ. He's a fellow laborer in the work of Christ. I think that's a really, um, that's a really beautiful point that Paul brings up. Yeah. And he's putting Onesimus on this, on equal footing, right? It's no longer your property or you're my slave. It's now you're, you're my brother. And the way you respond to your brother is vastly different, especially in the kingdom of God, vastly different than you would a slave who is there to work for you and do your bidding. Uh, so it's, it's yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful picture of the gospel, but it's also a very um, polarizing statement in that era for sure. Sure. Um, as we continue on, uh, First Chronicles, uh, there's quite a few different readings this week, that different chapters. Uh, I just want to kind of highlight one pretty quickly in chapter 22. Uh, I'm just going to read verses 6 through 10. This is the picture of, uh, not the picture, this is the passage where uh, David is calling his son Solomon and commissioning Solomon to build the temple for the Lord. And David had it in his heart for years, for a long time, like, I want to build the Lord uh, a temple. I want to build him a place worthy of his name and his glory. Because keep in mind, up until this point... Um, it was a tabernacle. Yeah, it was, it was, a, a, it was a tent, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So so they want to build a permanent residence. Um, and, and so then David g- gets everyone together, and then uh, he says this in verse 6 through 10. He says, then, then he called, referring to David, then he called for Solomon, his son, charged him and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, my son, I had it in my heart to build a house to the name of the Lord, my God. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, you have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name because you have shed so much blood before me on the earth. Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all his surrounding enemies for his name shall be Solomon, and I will give him I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name, he shall build he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. And it's interesting because even the word name Solomon plays on this idea of shalom, which is peace. And is God is saying, Listen, David, I know you want to do this, but you're not really in essence holy enough to do it because of all the blood that you have shed for me and all the conquests you have done. It's a picture, it shows this picture of holiness for God has 
not just for himself because he is holy, but also for his residents. Um, and so it's interesting to see that as David is gearing everything up, he gathered all the people, all the residents, all the aliens within the community of Israel, and he he started compiling all the materials. So David was was the initiator of the the materials needed to build this temple. But then he commissioned Solomon because not only did God tell him to do it, but he also he was not worthy or capable to do it because of all the bloodshed he had. Uh, and so it's just a picture of this holiness. Uh, and David was a king of conquest, while David, Solomon is a, is a king of of peace. Yeah. No, I think that's it's it's also really interesting too because I think when you contrast um Solomon and David, it is true that Solomon is is really a king of peace. Like there's no major wars going on. It's called uh Israel's golden age, um, because I mean right after the reign of Solomon is when the kingdom splits and it really all starts to go downhill. But what's also interesting is that God chooses Solomon to build the temple, and yet when you look at the lives of David and Solomon, David pursues the Lord pretty much his entire life. Now, yeah. obviously, he makes mistakes. We just got done talking about a couple mm-hmm. of them. But uh, um, Solomon, what we see is he starts off really strong, and then most of his life is just spent pursuing sin and pleasure to the max um, until he comes around at the very end. And when we get into the book of Ecclesiastes, we'll talk a little bit more. Yeah, Evan's really excited about that. It's one of it his is, favorite books. It is one of my favorite books of the Bible. But So I won't spoil too much of it. But um, I think it is, it's, it's this really interesting picture of God using, again, like it's been a theme for the last few weeks now on the podcast, God using imperfect people uh, to do his work. And neither David nor Solomon was perfect, but he had separate works outlined for each of them to accomplish. Uh, so the next book we're getting into uh, is the book of Hebrews. And so like we teased a little bit, um, we're done with all of the epistles of Paul mm-hmm. or the letters of Paul. Hebrews is really interesting because it's the only New Testament book that's written anonymously. So in the Old Testament, we have a few of them, you know, Chronicles and Kings uh, and Samuel among them. They're books where we don't know who the author was. Um, and then particularly with with kings, it looks like they were compiled over a long period of time, so it could have been a lot of authors. Um, with Hebrews, we run into a similar thing. Now, tradition holds um, that Paul wrote the book, and I was as I was researching through this, I think the Eastern Orthodox Church has always held that Paul wrote the book. I believe oh, the yeah the Western uh, Roman Catholic Church. I think they adopted that around like the four five hundreds is whenever it was going on. Um, but with that being said, it's. Uh, it's, it's def- not definitive. Yeah, it's not a slam dunk. And, no. the, and the reason is because there's a couple different issues with why it it looks like it might not be Paul. First off, Paul signs all of his letters. So he mm-hmm. always starts it off with, I, Paul. Pen these words. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Hebrews does not start off that way. Um, the vocabulary and the style of Greek are different than the normal letters that Paul writes. And so um, we don't know who wrote this. What we do know is that um, as the church fathers were going through and, and looking through um, the different books of the Bible, um, this book stood out as like, even though we don't fully know who the author is, the content into it is clearly inspired. The content in it is clearly, um, it's part It's part of scripture, yeah. essentially is what's going on. So it could have been Paul, could have been, you know, maybe Barnabas or Apollos or, you know, there's a few different um, early apostles who could have written it. We don't know definitively who. Well, and I've also heard, and this is just to throw a monkey wrench in the whole thing, because it is anonymous, so we don't have definitive clarity. But I've also heard the, the, the part of it, the reason why there isn't a name associated with it is because it could have been one of the women followers of Christ, one of the women. Could have been. Women uh, that followed Jesus because they would not have been validated back in biblical times from a canon perspective or whatever. Uh, and so it's because some of the grammatical responses and the statements and the verbiage and things like that are similar to Paul, but they're not 
directly in alignment with Paul. But anyways, yeah. so who who knows? Different conversation. Um, <laughs> all that to be say, uh, we do know who the letter is written to, which is nice. And so it yes. is written uh, from a Jewish perspective to. The Hebrews, which is why it's called the book to the Hebrews. Hebrews. So um, it's, it's a good, not a coffee joint. Exactly. But um, what's going on in this moment is a little bit later again. So we can probably date this to around when Titus and Timothy are written, being written as well. But a lot of um, the Jews who had become Christians, which back then was not a clear distinction, like Christians thought of themselves as, and especially in Israel, uh, Christians thought of themselves as Jews. They just knew who the Messiah was. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not until later that you start to see this distinction between the two. Um, But they're starting to go back to the old sacrificial system. And so a reason that we have it dated to the 60s-ish is because um, historical fun fact, or that's not a fun fact, uh, in AD 70, the temple is destroyed. So there's a rebellion, Rome comes in, they crush the rebellion, and the temple is also destroyed. And so because- the temple that Solomon built. uh, Second temple. Second temple. But that was the temple that- Didn't they build it? Because Solomon built it, that one was destroyed, and, they it, and then what? yeah, and then Herod That's built right. the second temple. But yeah, it's in the same spot yes. where in the, today same the, location. Yeah, the Temple Mount is mm-hmm. you know in modern Israel, it's there still. Yeah, we just talked about Solomon. Um, but it's it's one of those things where uh, because the Book of Hebrews refers to the sacrificial system as a thing that is presently happening, we can assume that it's or I guess infer that this book was written before the destruction of the temple because obviously the temple being gone uh, means that the old sacrificial system no longer works because you can't go to the temple to offer sacrifices. It had to change uh, with the times. The major theme of the book of Hebrews, and we're going to talk a lot more about it next week when we actually have um, this week's just so packed with a bunch of things that we're talking about. Um, but the big theme to look out for in Hebrews as we're reading as we're reading it is that Jesus is our high priest. Yeah. And so in the Old Testament, the way that it worked is there was a high priest and this priest, the first one was Aaron, uh, way back, not Aaron, the host of the podcast, oh, but sorry, I was, bro. I almost got like really excited. Like, <laughs> dude, I'm awesome. But uh, Moses, Aaron's brother, Moses's brother, Aaron, was the first high priest. Um, and really what they were responsible for is being the intermedi- intermediary between man and God. And so uh, you would come, you would offer sacrifices for your sins, and then the high priest would go and actually atone. And there was a bunch of different things. We talked about Yom Kippur when we were going through uh, the book of Leviticus, all these different things. And with the during the crucifixion so after christ dies one of the there's a bunch of crazy things that happen but one of the most interesting things is that the curtain that separated out uh the holy of holies which is kind of the center of the temple the place where only the high priest could go the curtain was torn up uh torn in two and it was really the symbolic moment saying that because of the sacrifice of christ because of what's happened we no longer need a high priest to stand between us and god or i guess more accurately that high priest is no longer a man, but it's God himself. Mm-hmm. And so we can have direct relationship with Jesus. And it talks about how Jesus intercedes on our behalf. And so it's no longer this situation where um, we God is this distant thing. But yeah. now because of the work of Christ, we as Christians can have direct relationship with God, which is a beautiful thing. And you're going to yeah. see that spoken all throughout the book of Hebrews. It's a big it's a big piece of being interwoven throughout the, the scripture of Hebrews. And the other thing about even the temple is the Bible says it was torn from the top to the bottom. In other words, symbolizing it was not a man who tore the temple or the the, the veil is what it is. The curtain and the veil was torn from right. top to bottom. And that's in symbolizing God is removing the veil because of what Christ has done. And so his death and resurrection now allows us access. Um, so we don't need someone. We don't have to go to someone and 
hey, I need you to speak to God on my behalf. We actually yeah. have now because Christ is already interceding for us. So anyways, really fun nuances there. Um, and, you know, as we kind of get into the, to the end of some of the highlights uh, for this week, um, I, I want to jump back in the Old Testament because I felt like we touched a lot of New Testament uh, today. And one of the Psalms that we get to read today or this coming week is Psalm 7. Um, and, and it's a really interesting Psalm because I think a lot of us deal uh, with how do we respond in the midst of being slandered or persecuted or uh, criticized or, you know, feeling like we are um, even even being picked on or highlighted for our, our shortcomings. Um, and Psalm 7 is uh, a Psalm of Lament by David, who uh, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, which is also the tribe where Saul came from. If you remember when we talked about Saul, uh, in essence, this member, there's, his, his name is not mentioned. It just says someone, in essence, slandered David. Uh, and this lament, I think, really helps us see how do we respond uh, to God and how can we call out to God in the midst of our criticism and, and the persecution we feel uh, and have coming against us. And it just says this, the first five verses. Uh, it's a great psalm. It's a psalm that's longer than these five verses, but I just want to quickly jump into the five verses because it's such a, a great picture for us. But it says this, O Lord, my God, verse one, O Lord, my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Lest the lion, like a lion, they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. In essence, it's literally like we, like David is, is highlighting the fact that, and we all feel this, we all know this, when someone comes against us, when someone questions our character or questions our integrity or, or wants to say something bad about who we are, it really is a soul hit. It's not just sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me or words will never hurt me. It really is a soul hit where we, we feel it in the deepest parts of who we are, where we almost begin to to grieve and mourn and process god are they is it true like where am i like am i that bad of a person did i do this wrong um and so david is reminding you and i like the the slander and the criticism they they hit at a soul level which means we cannot just get over them which means there should be a better response and and so david cries out to the lord says you're my refuge my soul is is safe and secure in you even in the midst of slander and then he says this, which I think is really interesting in verse three, he says, Oh Lord, my God, if I've done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let them, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. And I love the honesty and I love the integrity, but I also love the, the, the rawness where David is lamenting and saying, God, I, I'm, you're my refuge. I'm being slandered. It hurts to the, to the deepest parts of my soul. And when he has those moments of refuge, he then has the security and the stability because I don't think many of us will, will really like to ask that question of like, if I've really done this, then let me have the punishment due. If I've really done what I'm being accused of, if I've really done what, what I'm being slandered for, then, then let it play out because David's love, and we, we've highlighted this throughout these podcasts, but David's love for God's truth, David's love for his word, get David's love for, for the integrity and, and the willingness and passion of, of God's honesty is, is a big piece of this. And so his honesty and integrity, like God, if I'm hurting, like this sucks, but if it's true, then let them overtake me. And then he doesn't stop there. Verse six, like, like Lord arise in your anger, justify and vindicate me. And he continues on. But I think it's, it's, it's such a deep gut check. Of we oftentimes stick and stop, and myself, like I, maybe it's just me, will stop in the midst of my self pity or the midst of my hurt and my soul, my soulful hurt, that I just kind of wallow and say, God, I need you to heal me. I need you to take care of me. 
And But David takes us a little bit further in, in what I think was a really good response that I'm not excited about saying this because then I know I have to now help be held accountable to it. <laughs> um, but just the tension of, like, God, if I've done this, then let, let, the, let the consequences play out. And I just think it's a really deep challenge uh, in the midst of wanting to pursue integrity and have a heart after the Lord like David. Yeah, so. absolutely. Well, that wraps it up for another week of Let's Read the Bible. Uh, just a reminder that we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only podcast of the Grove Church. You can find a lot of other uh, resources and podcasts at our website at grove.church. Um, and also do us a favor, leave us a review on whatever five platform. Star. Five-star review not on whatever platform. Want not because we want to feel good about ourselves, but it actually gets the word out and has a higher visibility rate for other people. We believe what we're talking about. So five-star. And it also helps me. Yes, that too. But Uh, that's not the only reason. But on that note, uh, we will see you guys next week.